insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. Let's look at how we can organize a successful information security program that integrates business culture with people, process, and technology to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast here on the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. This is Sean Martin, your host, where I get the joy of chatting with super cool people who know a lot of stuff, much more than me. Um, I have ideas. My guests have the answers a lot of times, or at least get us to think about uh, the answers for our own organizations as we try to uh, not just protect the revenue the company creates, but hopefully generates uh, more revenue in a safe and secure manner. So today's topic, um, you see my two guests, those who's watching, um, if you're like me, you're both excited to hear what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be looking at uh, the state of the market, and more specifically, the the vendor space. Is there contraction? Is there continued growth? What's the state of uh, M&A and and, uh, and I don't know, maybe closures, perhaps. We'll talk about that, I suppose. But then that, so that's kind of the outside view. And then we're going to look inward to see what organizations are doing from uh, consolidation, simplification, procurement perspective. Uh, how do the, and then how do those two things line up? So I'm thrilled to have Eric Parizo and Richard Steenen on. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, being part of this. It's good to see you both, of course. Awesome to be here. It's, a, it's an honor to have you both on together. Um, so before we get into that, that fun topic, uh, a few words from each of you, a uh, little bit about your background and what you're up to at the moment. Richard, I'll uh, start with you. Okay. Thanks so much, Sean. Yeah, so I'm Richard Steenen. I'm a industry analyst. Uh, started in that role uh, 24 years ago at Gartner. And when I left Gartner, I started my own firm because I didn't realize that the only thing I'm cut out for is being an industry analyst. I can't stay employed doing anything else. Um, And it's been uh, a fun time because I'm just fascinated by all of the security solutions out there. And I've been collecting data on all of the companies. And only recently I've been actually collecting data on their products. 
So I've got uh, a pretty good picture of the industry. I put it all in a copy of Cybersecurity Yearbook every year. Uh, 2023 is behind me, and I just got off the phone talking to Wiley about the 2024 edition, which is coming out in June. Uh, so that's what I'm up to. I love it. And we've had a chat about uh, the yearbook, so I encourage folks to, to listen to that episode. I think we're going to have to get an update from you. And you're ready for that too, Richard. Eric. So I'm a managing principal analyst here at uh, Omdia, uh, part of the cybersecurity team. Uh, I've been uh, an industry analyst for about eight, almost nine years now. Uh, I've been here since uh, 2019 and and previously with another firm. Before that, I was a technology journalist uh, and editor for about uh, 15 years, most of that. Uh, covering cybersecurity. Today, I I focus on the world of of SecOps, which is everything uh, involving threat detection, investigation and response, the people, the processes, and the uh, solutions. And uh, for those who don't know, Omdi is, uh, of course, part of uh, Informa. So we're part of the uh, big cybersecurity family that includes dark reading and black hat. So we always have a pretty heavy presence at uh, Black Hat USA uh, in August in uh, Las Vegas and excited to uh, talk about the the changing world or maybe not so changing world of of cybersecurity uh, platforms and consolidation. Exactly. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see you in Las Vegas for Black Hat for sure. It's one of of our favorite moments during the year to, uh, to see everybody flock to Vegas and, and chat about cyber, right? That's, that's a good time, to say the least. Um, so, Eric, th- this chat, I mean, I'm always thinking about this stuff. Um, I, I pretend to be, I pretend to want to be an analyst in, in another life. <laughs> I think I mentioned that to both of you at some point. Um, maybe someday I'll, I'll uh, be one, but who knows. But th- this post on LinkedIn is what prompted this, and it was in relation to vendors trying to get organizations to buy into a platform play where you, you buy the platform you get and the products on top of that and you get an all-in-one solution. Um, years ago when I was at uh, a big yellow company, I, I built the SIM platform and that it was the same story then, right? You get the platform, you get our net, network security, you get our endpoint security, you get our risk, all this stuff all comes together nicely. You have, you have one vendor to uh, one vendor to choke, as they say. Um, so nothing's changed in terms of objective there, but I don't know how successful things have been over over time. A lot of growth in the in the industry, a lot of new technologies moved to the cloud since my days at, at uh, Symantec. So, Eric, I'm going to start with you. The, the the inspiration for that post. Um, I know you've do a lot of research. So I, I suspect there's some numbers and, and some data behind it as well. But what prompted you actually put that out there in the first place? Sure, and it's been uh, on my uh, to-do list for a long time to uh, to get that uh, that post out there, which is is based on a uh, an article I, I wrote for our our dark reading website. Essentially, we see a lot of the same things I think you and and Richard and others in the industry have seen, which is there's for a long time now been this uh, uh, evangelism effort among the most primarily the the largest cybersecurity 
uh, vendors in the industry, um, evangelizing around the idea of the cybersecurity platform, namely that it is a better, more cost-effective, uh, better outcome proposition to buy into a platform that instead of providing, you know, standalone solutions brings together a variety of different previously separate capabilities into one integrated solution. And there are allegedly a lot of benefits from that, from better integration, workflow, measurable outcomes, even compliance and reporting. So, of course, that has been how these large vendors seek to get enterprises to not just buy one product, but buy all their different products, right? So we wanted to do some research to really bear that out and say, okay, is that what's actually happening out there? So as part of our 2023 Omdia cybersecurity decision maker survey, we asked the question, how has the number of standalone security products in your organization changed during the past 12 months? And this was essentially from uh, May of, of uh, 2022 through May of, of or uh, late April of 2023. So you know we ha you know we had kind of suspected okay we've seen a lot of of, of these platforms right we're going to see a, a pretty significant uh, you know increase in terms of the 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 uh, or, or decrease rather than a number of standalone security products. Um, however, we saw the opposite. Um, more than 80% of our survey respondents saw an increase in the number of standalone security products in their organizations, and 44% of respondents said it wasn't just a minor increase, that it was an increase in 11% uh, or more. So it's not, it's not, not what the big vendors want you to believe at all. Organizations, according to our data, want best of breed solutions because they, we believe they desire that best of breed functionality. Now, in a perfect world, all those best of breed solutions would work together, I think, better than they do today. But it certainly uh, paints an interesting picture that the reality that the platform vendors are, are trying to espouse is a bit different from what's actually happening in the enterprise. So, Richard, I have a ton of thoughts, but I want to hear your your, your perspective on that. So I, I think that's why I reacted so positively to Eric's research um, and kudos for highlighting that, uh, because there's many, many instances where uh, CISOs or just a group of people, but CISOs in particular, uh, are very, very loud about uh, certain aspects of our world. Um, one of them is they hate salespeople and they hate the sales process. They hate being approached by salespeople. Message received loud and clear. Um, number two is they are extremely confused and frustrated at the variety of products out there, right? So in other words, they are in, uh, you know, they're almost like an open port on the internet. They're just listening for people to ping them and offer them solutions. And unfortunately, way, way too often, the only reason they ever discover that they need a particular product is from a sales call. Um, if it's a reseller, they've got a relationship, and that reseller says, boy, you should really use this latest DNS, whatever, and they buy it. So, and 
you know, I do a lot of research in how many pe how many people actually use uh, analysts uh, in their product discovery and decision making. Just a minuscule number, right? Just you know, I know Gartner has fifteen thousand uh, customers worldwide, which is a very small number, but those are the fifteen thousand biggest companies in the world. In North America alone, there are seventy five thousand CISOs. So there are sixty five thousand CISOs that don't take advantage of Gartner. They might be Andia or Forrester uh, customers. Um, they're not my customers. And um, how are they making their decisions, right? Do they, they have nobody to turn to, so all they have is this confusion. Um, I have the reaction, I totally in agreement with Eric. There is no um, legitimate strategy for uh, a vendor, be it Palo Alto or Cisco, to think that they can uh, be the source for all security for a company. Not going to happen. It's completely impossible. Um, and it's because, you know, they, first of all, the big vendors, the Google, Microsoft, don't know how to sell to the enterprise, right? They have monopolies. The enterprise has to buy from them, so they just do. Uh, maybe they get to negotiate contract terms, but usually not. It, the only time a consolidation play makes sense is when, you're sitting in the architecture in a place where you can do multiple things. And that's that works so well for network security in the old appliance days when Fortinet and Palo Alto said, hey, look, it, it's uh, the packets are going through our network so we can do stuff and we can apply, you know, application layer filtering and we can apply uh, IPS filtering and, and we can even do secure web gateway stuff <clears throat> because we can block going to pornography sites. So that worked. Everybody consolidated. It would be stupid for any CISO to, to make a best of breed argument that, hey, this blue coat standalone software uh, secure web gateway should be in front of my Palo Alto or anything like that. Just ridiculous. Just <clears throat> use one product for that. On the endpoint, no less so, right? It's, um, you know, we do have the CrowdStrike Sentinel-1s certainly displacing uh, antivirus, but there are a whole bunch of other endpoint solutions that have not been consolidated. It would be nice to have one agent to deploy, but yeah, nobody's done that very well uh, and have not won that, that space over. But buying your endpoint and network security and identity security and encryption and, and data security from the same vendor, never. It's never going to happen. So, you know, if you're Cisco thinking you can create a PowerPoint presentation that says you do all that, just forget it. Go home. You know, pick some silos and go after them. That's what you're good at. So uh, I'm going to stick with you for a moment, Richard. So uh, I'd like to get a view from you for what activities taking place in terms of mergers and acquisitions, maybe partnerships that don't go all the way to, uh, to something as extreme as an acquisition, but yep. do maybe in some of those categories, um, where do you see some of the consolidation and perhaps, uh, in terms of feature set, um, sure. and then also, um, do you still see stuff at the platform layer aside from the couple that you mentioned, yeah, do you yeah. see, do you see organizations still trying to make that play? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, First, you know, let's talk about some of the uh, activity, I guess. So last year um, was certainly down year from uh, from the year before as far as M&A and funding. 
So there were 250 uh, uh, acquisitions um, spread across strategic uh, versus private equity kind of deals. And that was down 25% from the 355 the year before. So significant drop. And it kind of contrary to what you'd expect, right? If, if as well heard, valuations were plummeting and down rounds all over the place, you would think it'd be cheaper to acquire companies and therefore there would be more that were acquired. But it turns out that private equity and even strategic buyers have the same qualms about making investments that we do as individuals in the stock market, right? It's, you know, come on, CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, Cisco, Fortinet were all down 60% from their highs in November of 2021. Um, and yet people weren't thinking they should buy the stock at, at that huge discount. And so they missed out on, you know, the 240% increase that CrowdStrike's made in the last year. Um, and same thing with investors in big stuff, right? They just are, they're waiting to see what happens. So rather than buy at the best price, they are, are going to wait until the price is double again and then buy in then. And we'll, I think this year will be a blowout year for, for acquisitions. And consolidation, I'm, you know, uh, I, I always beat the drum. There is no consolidation in the cybersecurity industry. Um, there is, there's no roll-up play to be had. All that said, the endpoint security, uh, you know, subsegment has consolidated, and just like I used to berate the journalist, um, that present company, I'm sure, who would every time it, Symantec made an acquisition would say the industry is consolidating. And any further sign of industry consolidation, Symantec acquired so and so. Uh, it was just like a trope almost. Um, and I'd always chime in and I'd say, you know, give all my arguments why the industry doesn't consolidate. And I'd always end with, well, no consolidation is happening when Symantec buys McAfee, right? That's consolidation. When likes buy likes, that's what you got in Detroit when the 104 automotive companies, you know, consolidated to four back in 1925 um, or, or hotel chains in the U.S., right? I think there's three or four left, Um that's consolidation. And sure enough, it was semantic. It was what was left of them, Norton LifeLock, still a public company. And they acquired a vast of Vira and AVG. Um, and if there are any other AV vendors that begin with A, they'll acquire them too and consolidate them all into one thing. And now it's the, it's the highest revenue per employee uh, public company that's in cybersecurity. They do over a million in revenue per employee because it's super efficient to just babysit a whole bunch of continuous revenue streams at $25 or $39 a year from the Avasts and AVGs um, because those people don't know how to unsubscribe. So it's, they're just going to tail that out forever and probably a great stock investment uh, to get a piece of that, that action from people who don't know enough to know that they can just use Windows Defender, it's free. And that's the other reason, of course, that sparked all of this is uh, they, the, the big antivirus vendors can't fight against Microsoft. It just, it's so frustrating. It's just, we're just gonna give it to you. You got it, you know, pay us whatever it is, $150 a year per E5 license, and you automatically get all this good stuff for free. So, um, Fundings were in pretty good shape last year as well, but only just over $10 billion. So same level as uh, 2020 fundings. Um, so we're just 
kind of back. It's almost like we cut the hump out of the curve and we're just going to grow from here, I think. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, thanks for all that insight, Richard. And, and Eric, I, I want to bring it back inside and maybe your thoughts on some of what Richard just described. Because my view, I get to talk to a lot of people, thankfully, there seems to be a tremendous amount of complexity when you start adding all of these things. And Richard, I think, uh, I think you nailed it when you, when you said that uh, it, it's the sales calls that determine how CISOs become aware. I was just talking about this yesterday with uh, with a doctor who who now does cybersecurity for healthcare. Cool. <laughs> Actual physical, uh, medical doctor. Um, but we talked about the fact that it's the it's the vendor driven awareness of what's required that drives the purchase of stuff. Not not a business decision to say where where are we at risk and how do we how do we plug these holes. Um, but so they buy a lot of stuff <laughs> and they try to get it all worked together. And of course, with the complexity comes uh, additional risk and the gaps and the holes and the misconfigs and all the other stuff that comes with it. So my view is that there, there's a desire, at least maybe not enough action, but at least a desire to simplify and I'll say consolidate tools inside. But some of your research suggests otherwise, Eric, but what do you, what else do you have in that light? <laughs> Yeah, uh, lots to unpack there, Sean. So let me see where to where to begin. Um, I, I I generally agree as far as uh, products in need. I'll say in in my experience, it's a little bit of a mix between the two. I think what often happens is enterprises, CISOs, they do it does start with recognizing a general need that they have either. Um, you know, they were breached in some way and they need to, to shore up the, the, their security capabilities in the, in the ways that uh, were insufficient or um, they have a, a risk problem that they need to mitigate or reduce or offload um, some kind of issue that they need to solve. But because there is such a big um, market for cybersecurity solutions out there, it's hard to really do um, an in-depth search and get a sense of every possible solution that's that's out there. So that's where those uh, vendors that do have the aggressive marketing uh, come into play. And that gives them an advantage because they can do a better job of getting in front of those enterprises that that do have have the need. Um, as far as um, you know, some of the data Richard uh, mentioned, you know, our, our data is similar as far as uh, cybersecurity acquisitions uh, last year, 2023 was essentially uh, a flat year, and, and we're anticipating a little bit more of a bump um, this year. To Richard's credit, he has some of the industry's best data on uh, cybersecurity uh, funding. And I think Richard's data really shores up this, this ongoing cycle we have where, uh, yes, there is a steady number of acquisitions, but all this funding is continued, billions of dollars is continually coming into the market to fund new startups that just come in and take their place at an even, even greater rate. So there's a constantly growing number of, of cybersecurity vendors in the industry that's only adding you know, to the confusion until they in turn to get acquired and the cycle starts all over again. Um, in terms of the complexity, um, 
I about five six years ago, I um, I, I sort of coined a, a, a term for what was then kind of an, an emerging security market segment. I called it security platform integration frameworks or SPIFs, and the idea was that solving this very problem. Organizations purchase so many best of breed solutions; they need them. They solve legitimate problems, but it's hard to get them all to work together. Um, do so efficiently and get the cybersecurity outcomes they want. So SPIFs were designed to kind of help with that integration process. The irony there, SPIFs were too complicated. They were too hard to work with. So ultimately they just added to, to the problem. So what we're starting to see now as an alternative is that it's not necessarily about integrating the products as much. Yes, we still see that in certain areas. Richard mentioned, you know, the the network side and and certainly um, the the network edge and and content gateways and such. It makes sense to have integration there. Same with SecOps, you know, threat detection, investigation, response. That's all a process. You need product integration there in a pretty tight, effective way. But more broadly, it's become too challenging just to integrate the dozens and dozens of security solutions organizations have. So instead, we're seeing not a product integration, but increasing work on data integration. How can organizations instead bring together all their security data into few or ideally one centralized location and then work with that data and provide it in the ways that they want? to any number of different security solutions. It's kind of a different approach to the integration problem, but avoids some of the traditional challenges we've seen in actually making solutions work together directly. And it has the additional benefit of helping enterprises get away from these proprietary solution-driven uh, data storage and management mechanisms. It's been an issue for decades with the SIM market, where if you buy into a SIM, you have to buy into that vendor's proprietary data format in many, in most instances. And that in itself becomes more costly than actually buying the solution itself. So organization enterprises are finally getting wise to that and saying, why don't we try to circum, circumvent that problem uh, altogether? And that's part of the rise of, we're seeing these solutions like Amazon Security Lake and, and things like that to try to create these new centralized data repositories. Yeah, I, I totally see that happening, Eric. And the, you know, I, I track, the 3,743 vendors this morning, and there's only one that is not a security vendor that I track, and that's Cribble, because every CISO I talk to is using Cribble to manage the, the just the data flow. They're not, you know, yeah, they're deduping and stuff like that. But um, another interesting point is that, hey, integration is so important that everybody's publishing APIs. So now you can connect all these different tools together with APIs, but ironically that led to, you know, 39 API security vendors to come around and say, hey, you're, you, you just opened all these doors. You haven't done anything about them. So I, I want to, let's stick with the data piece because the, I think one, one area, and I had, I had an episode just the other day looking at the, whether or not LLMs or AI belongs in a SIM. And uh, it was a heated debate by, uh, by uh, Mick Douglas and Dennis Cruz uh, against and for <laughs> in that order. Um, 
and it it begs a question for me who because I, I security data is one thing and I, I have a whole nother idea about security data and how it can actually help drive better business not just beef up security operations but security is just one piece of the data pie that i think is relevant and important to a broader risk management view so I don't know, are you seeing any movements where risk type activities or or somebody else is, is starting to dip their dip their fingers into the security space? Uh, you, you mentioned the Cribble one uh, that you're tracking, but are there any other examples like that? Both of you, if you have some something to Take share. Take that there. first, Richard. Yeah, sure. So I've seen dozens of examples of new database vendors coming along, and they might have a security aspect to them, um, like I remember Squirrel, right? Um, and they eventually got acquired by AWS, but they'll they'll come up with a data analysis tool and they'll just sell it as a generic. Hey, if you've got data, we can help make sense of it. Uh, and then they discover that security is the best use case. So all of a sudden they pivot into a security company. And that's exactly what Splunk did, right? Um, and that ultimately paid off for them, right? They um, getting acquired uh, by Cisco, presumably maybe for their security aspect of what they do. But if you think about it, Cisco's machines generate all the machine data that Splunk tracks the alerts on so it's kind of a good marriage there um but of course they'll spin it as okay you don't need any more security products because we've got the ultimate platform and we got all the data in one place just by us instead of elastic um you know so that's just gonna go on forever but i see that i, I don't see anybody in the risk space um you know getting close to doing anything you know interesting or helpful in the space right they're not technologists they don't have technologists on staff. They don't have machine learning people. Uh, they can't afford those people anymore. So I, I don't think the risk-centric people, which are, you know, it's just bookkeeping for um, security events is how I view what they bring to the market. And before you answer, Eric, I'm going to stick with, with Richard and add compliance. <laughs> that's not that's not slowing down as a, as a growth. True, thing, true. Right? Oh, yeah. And I, I see AI applied to compliance everywhere because... Compliance is such a documentation nightmare. And if there's one thing a large language model can do is it can write stuff and it can interpret things that are written in other languages and write them in the language you want. And that other language might be that the data reporting that's coming into them. So yeah, huge opportunities there. Yeah, I'll jump in. Richard touched on kind of a point I was gonna make. I'll, so I'll just add to say, it's no coincidence that the, um, you know, vendors like, you know, Splunk and Elastic and Snowflake, you know, now even AWS companies that ultimately kind of have, you know, started or, or a big portion of their business is data management have made big pivots towards security because the security data problem is so large. It's a massive opportunity for those for those vendors. It's just not only, you know, it, it, it's all across security, but it's specific to the area I cover uh, SecOps because yep. the TDIR uh, data is the biggest part of, of threat detection, investigation and response. It's yep. the very start of that process, ironically, but if you don't get your data pipeline right, 
you're not going to get the the detections and hence the the response and outcomes that you want. So it's 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 critical to get that right. I wrote last year a whole 6,000 word report on threat detection, data lifecycle engineering, and there's so much to it that unless you live it every day, you don't realize just how hard it is and how the smallest of missteps as far as data gathering and correlation and deduping can have such a huge negative impact on your TGIR outcomes. It's, it's, it's fascinating, really deep in the weeds stuff. Um, separately on the risk piece, what I would say to that is we're seeing the emergence of a really fascinating area of cybersecurity that we're calling proactive security. Up to recently, there have been really two different classifications of security products. There have been preventative products, products you put in place to try to prevent an attack from affecting you, or reactive products, products that can help you after the already the attack is either already uh, at, on your doorstep or busted down your door. But both of those categories are essentially only helping you for attacks that are already streaming your way. But enterprises realize this isn't very efficient. Buy products and just wait for them, wait for the bad stuff to come at us. What if we buy, what if we focus our security investments, enterprises are increasingly saying, on solutions that help us prevent the attacks from ever coming at us in the first place? And that's where proactive is, so security is coming in. It's solutions that generally help organizations establish better visibility and understand their risk and take action based on that risk. We've seen a big rise in the last couple of years in things uh, surrounding uh, posture management, attack surface management in different ways. That's all part of this bigger proactive puzzle that we're seeing come together. And we think it's ultimately going to have a big impact on bringing together cybersecurity with organizational risk. To date, that's been a challenging proposition because in cybersecurity, gee, how can we measure the risk of something that may or may not happen? And then all the different things that may or may not happen. It's really challenging, but the industry is finally getting more sophisticated in how you actually measure risk, tying it increasingly to actual dollar amounts because that's what enterprise decision makers understand. How much do I need to spend? How much could I lose if I don't spend it? Break it down, really simple. So we're starting to see that come together and it's be creating some really interesting conversations about how much cybersecurity risk really exists, what really matters, how much it costs, and in turn, what enterprises should do about it. And I will believe that that's happening or getting traction when I see companies um, deciding that it's too risky and expensive to use Windows as their operating system or take a step back and use Google Chrome as their browser, right? Why in the world would you opt to use a browser as we are because we're forced to for this, this screen capture and recording system that we're using? Um, why would you use a system that has 2,000 critical vulnerabilities every 12 months that have to be patched? You know, why not pick one that doesn't have those vulnerabilities? <laughs> yeah, it goes back to that ongoing battle that exists, right, between security and usability. If an organization um, 
has its you know IT infrastructure based on a certain application or stack or paradigm, uh, it's hard to go away from that because yeah. ultimately it can affect business productivity, right? It's right. it's fighting that balance that I think is has been an issue for years and 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 always will be. It doesn't mean organizations shouldn't take the opportunity to to mitigate their risk where they can, where they can make that effective business case. But in many cases, you're, you're absolutely right, Rich, Richard. It's just, it's seen as too big of a battle, even though from the security side, the, the security risk is enormous, but then it's still not enough to counter the risk on, on the business side and the lost yep. dollars or productivity. I always, I always try and gain perspective whenever I see a, a conflict in names between a you know security guard company and a uh, IT security company. And then I just have to remember that the security guard company business is about 10 times bigger than the entire cybersecurity industry. Um, so it's just, yeah, that we're only a tiny part of this ecosystem and the business owners treat us like a tiny part of it. Yeah, you, you've both pushed out uh, the, the soapbox for me. This is, this is my mantra on my show for the last, I don't know, six plus months, maybe longer, where I believe, and I was with the same doctor yesterday, I was having the same conversation as well, where I believe what security is trying to push into the business. This is risky. We can, we can reduce the risk. We might, we might increase uh, reliability and availability. It's still a push into the business. And I think the business needs to pull, where are we inefficient? Where can we accomplish greater, bigger, better outcomes, achieve something that wasn't possible using this goes back to the security data, using the security data to say, we have this vulnerable system that we're spending money on building teams and buying products and building processes to patch over and over and over again. If we just, to your point, Richard, if we swapped it for something else, we might eliminate all that, have better uptime, maybe even open up new capabilities because it's a newer system that allows us to do something that we can do yesterday. Yeah. So yep. that's yeah, my, right my soapbox on that. That's a good one. I want, I want to throw um, a fastball. It, it's going to be a, 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 a uh, let's see, a slider and a, and a curveball in one. Is I, another conversation I've been having, and I think it connects well with what we're talking about here, is that we hear a lot about, and again, this is probably a lot of marketing from tech vendors. <laughs> we hear a lot about transformation in the business. And I wonder when does security transform? When do we have our shot to do something beyond what we're able to do today instead of just adding to this, the, the products set that we have? And that, so that's maybe that's the curveball that the... Uh, <laughs> the slider part of it is the role of platform engineering because I, I see a, another area which is this for the, the more mature organizations the, the fortune 500 maybe where they're building out it platforms with a bunch of shared services and a lot of capabilities where they're really honing in on the, the core workflows that are critical to their business and building out the systems and a platform to, to support those can security fit in there somehow? So fastball, curveball, slider coming at your way. 
who wants to <laughs> respond with what? I'll start. This time I'm not going to take the wind out of anybody's sails because it's you know just ad hoc thinking that. Uh, thinking back to when I when I joined Gartner, I was the second industry analyst at Gartner to cover security, and John Pescatori was the only one. And so we sat down uh, our first day, and he said, "You know, the great thing about our industry is that it's never the next big thing. In other words, it's never going to be the things front and center. You know, companies building their strategies around it, uh, etc. Um, but he said it's always part of the next big thing, and that has played out." over and over, right? So as the cloud came about, boom, security everywhere for the cloud stuff. Uh, as IoT uh, started getting connected to the internet, boom, security everywhere, mobile devices, boom, security. So we'll always be there. And even right now we see, uh, I track uh, eight vendors that are offering uh, security for large language models. And you know, and definitely AI is the next big thing, but um, it, it, and usually, Nothing gets traction until there's a threat that that justifies it. Um, so, so I don't see the first part, the slider, no, the curve part um, happening. Um, I just see continual, and this is why we're all still in business um, as analysts, journalists, etc. Is the all of the sakes of the past will always be repeated, right? Companies will come on the market, they'll do fantastic, cool stuff in a new space, um, and it gets to the certain level that attackers see what's going on and recognize the value to them for attacking it, and boom, they attack it. And then the cybersecurity vendors that have solutions will do well. And they'll just continue. Nobody is ever going to come to market with a brand new, cool, awesome thing that everybody needs right away and make it secure when they start. It's not going to happen because they don't know. It's just like Twitter, when they still had only a million users, um, had no timeouts on a number of times you could attempt to log in. So you could run a, um, a brute force attack against any Twitter account, and in the morning you'd have the password. It was, they just, and I don't blame them for doing that. Why would you invest in security when you don't even know if you're going to succeed for your back then a stupid you know, way for people to organize uh, who's paying for lunch, uh, which is all it was for. So, yeah, so I don't, uh, things are just going to continue the way they are. Sorry. Oh, I, I can't disagree as usual. I can't oh, disagree with anything Richard says, but <laughs> I'll take it from a different angle to provide a little bit of hope for you in this way, Sean. I do feel like in the last three, four years, We've seen steady growth and in interest in um, the area of, 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 of DevSecOps. And I think that dovetails with what you were talking about earlier, where this concept of, you know, from the very beginning of the, the software development lifecycle, making sure security, secure concepts, secure code, security best practices are built in both from a development as well as a capabilities and life cycle standpoint so that you have less, ideally you have less insecure code that ever finds its way into production and then less uh, downtime and effort having to go back and, and patch vulnerabilities later because they're weeded out of the, of the process. Again, ideally before it ever uh, gets, gets fully published anyway. Now, 
it takes a bit of a security culture. And this is where it gets really challenged. You need really good business and security leadership because ultimately the foundation to DevSecOps is you have to position security as a business enabler. Security has to be able to go to the table with other business decision makers and say, work with us more because ultimately we can help you from a business standpoint. We can save you time, save you money, save reduce business risk. Ultimately, it's a good proposition to give us a seat at the table and help and work with you to implement these, these kinds of secure processes. Now, many organizations never get to that point. And, and that's a shame because I think more if, if more did, it ultimately would lead to more efficient organizations, reduce security risk, uh, fewer exploits, all good things. But it takes a, an ability for security leaders to grow and, and develop that culture of security and build trust with those decision makers and partners across the business to say that, listen, we're not gonna slow you down. We're gonna help you ultimately meet the goals um, that you have to meet for this business. Um, I optimistically believe that as time goes on, we're gonna continue to make steady gains in that area. I feel like uh, using uh, an analogy well-worn by Richard's former employer, we're a little bit in that trough of disillusionment right now with DevSecOps, but I believe that over time, we're gonna head back in a very positive trajectory and organizations are, are gonna realize the, the many benefits of, of building security. If, if we had time, it's been an hour disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> Richard's been around long enough to, to not to not to learn learn the, the folly of optimism. <laughs> and I am truly an optimist and, and I totally believe that yes you should build security in. Um, I just don't think it'll ever happen because there are millions of independent software vendors, is that what we call them ISVs? And you know the uh, Jen Easterly at CISA is just, they think that the solution to our problem is that everybody produce better software. And that is going to happen about the same time as uh, everybody is patched uh, within a day of any new vulnerability being announced, right? Two aspirational things that are never, ever going to happen. And from personal experience, um, I was once trying to push this, this code uh, analysis tool that would uh, show you a diff between the old version and the new version. And uh, I was helping somebody who was trying to be the distributor for that in the US. Couldn't, they did not get a single sale. They could not even identify the title of the person in the DevOps or the development world who would buy security products, right? There's nobody can call up and say, hey, we've got a solution that fits with your IDE and prevents people from making mistakes. There's nobody there except the actual VP of engineering who's busy trying to get a product out the door so he doesn't want to talk to you. So, and has no budget for adding in additional steps. It's like, no way, sorry, wait, you're gonna slow me down? You're gonna, you know, your ID is gonna show stuff in red when it's not doing a memory check in C++? Yeah, oh, sorry, you know, who cares, right? The Chinese aren't gonna get that software and hack it. We're done. Oh, counter that just by saying, I think, 
I, if I may, Sean, I think an interesting change, I, again, I, I have a hard time disagreeing with anything Richard offers mm -hmm. up there. I think a, a fascinating change agent there really could be AI. And as time goes on, as AI becomes more of a part of the software development life cycle, yep. it, I think it will get easier for, de, for as development becomes more automated and AI becomes a part of that, it'll be easier to make better choices with security in mind. You know, yep. developers are creatures of habit. They yep. do what they know. Yep. And it's hard to go outside that sometimes. But if you have kind of that assistant there saying, hey, you can use this other newer, you know, piece of code that ha doesn't have, you know, is confirmed not to have any security vulnerabilities in it. Would you like to use this instead? Click yes. And then it's that easy. Totally. It's to yeah. me going to change the paradigm. Are we yeah. years away from that? Yes. But ultimately, well, I think that has that gives us a, yeah. a little reason for hope. I, I totally agree with you there because the. It's not that AI is going to continue always be an assistant to developers. Someday you'll just tell AI, you know, act, treat it like a black box. Write me the code that takes this input and outputs that. You'll test it. It does it, and then you can tell the AI make it secure. And you you'll never look at the inside of it, but it is more secure. So that's a good thing. And the other change agent is you, Eric. Right? You're you're on the soapbox, and you're promoting this and encouraging companies and hopefully you know some of the large banks i've talked to who have six thousand developers and then they have a security team of six people who go in and check pieces of code to see if they've done everything right and it's like maybe someday it'll go the other way around yeah that's def definitely not the right ratio no listen uh Gentlemen, it's been been fantastic. What I want to do as, as we wrap here, a brief word from each of you. Um, for the CISOs and security leaders listening and watching to this, a lot of cool conversations and good data, a lot of analysis of what's been happening, where we might be heading. Uh, let, let's bring it down to reality, a little brass tacks. Uh, what should uh, security leaders and CISOs, CSOs, kind of do today, do you think, given what we just talked about? Yeah, so just to go back to where we started, Sean, I don't necessarily think the the platform approach is is necessarily the wrong approach. You know, where where you can, you should try to consolidate security capabilities because there are advantages to it. Ultimately, though, it's it's often hard in in, in our experience to achieve best of breed that way. However, a good point to make is that if you know sometimes consolidating onto a platform can enable you to then add another capability elsewhere that you need that you don't necessarily have the 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 budget or capability to bring in today so i think that's not a one size fits all approach but that said, don't necessarily believe the hype either that it's, you know, the future is all about these cybersecurity platforms because ultimately the industry thrives on the innovation that new vendors, startups bring into the industry because there are always new security problems to solve. So like everything in security, it's a balance. <laughs> and I'd leave CISOs with the, you know, task of, um, first of all, knowing what products you actually have a paid relationship with, that's not an easy task. Uh, I talked to one 
uh, bank that has 750 security products because they've got 50 divisions and everybody just bought independently. Um, if you looked at that, you might have the same product in each division. And if you had just combined them into a single deal, you could have gotten a better price. So there's easy, easy pickings for negotiating uh, reductions in costs that will help you spend budget on people and other important things. And then also, you know, each vendor is constantly adding features. So you may want to go back and look at them and lay out all the capabilities that they already have and see if you're paying for uh, multiple vendors because you didn't realize that some of them do more than one thing uh, and do that, that whole analysis or have your team do that whole analysis. And if you need help, I've got a, I'm working on a tool that will do that for you automatically. Nice automation to the rescue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love it. And uh, I'll add uh, first, thank you both for, for uh, being here today and sharing your thoughts and insights and, Thank you everybody for listening and watching and and please don't forget the reason why we're doing all of this which is to secure the business right it's not to have a just to have a well-oiled program uh it, it's beyond the program it's it's to make sure the business is secure make sure that the customers and society that's impacted by those businesses aren't uh, affected negatively so uh, let's keep that in mind and Thank you both. Thank you all for listening. Please do subscribe, share, and uh, if you have your own thoughts, please do comment as well. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at Devo.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at Imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this show and ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand with our conversations, you can sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.